This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Another week, another week closer to duck football. Hey, everybody, Matt Bagley with you alongside Justin Hopkins across the interwebs. Let's start with the big story. Two weeks away from duck football, Oregon and Stanford soon. How excited are you? Yeah, I mean, we, uh, you know, we keep doing our weekly podcasts and every week it kind of keeps inching forward. And I know that, you know, you and I are anxious to get into some Stanford talk, but we kind of have to dial it back and let that simmer for another week or two because, uh, I mean, because football's coming and, and I know we're both excited. I know, you know, the, the board is excited. You can see uh, that there's a lot more activity on the boards because we're getting closer to that. Uh, you know, and there's not really much recruiting news. I mean, there was a bit this week, but not much overall to carry us. So I know it's, it's strictly football related. People are excited. I'm excited. You know, I keep kind of looking around to see what I can find about uh, uh, Stanford. And the one thing I know we'll go into it, uh, you know, uh, later on, but the one thing I keep coming back to is the fact that David Shaw is still the head coach, and no matter how many bodies they have or don't have, I think they're still going to be a good football team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, too, uh, every time Mario Cristobal is asked about Stanford, he has nothing but praise to say. You can tell he respects Coach Shaw as, as one of the tops in the conference. I just wonder how much of, of – the fear of this matchup is on a roster. How much is on, say, you mentioned that that cornerback group uh, on the site this week, or or people in the past have talked about the Stanford O-line or the Stanford D-line getting drafted real high in the NFL. How much of the concern surrounding this game is that, and how much of it is just a coaching staff that really madly respects David Shaw? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the reality is Stanford still has dudes on the roster. Is it as deep as Oregon's? No. Um, But given that, the fact that you're playing them the first week, I don't think that'll be nearly as big of an issue for Oregon with Stanford in this this regard as it will be for Stanford in Game 3, Game 4, Game 5, Game 6. The depth is going to become an issue for them, I think, later on this season. But it's Oregon's first game, so they're going to be fully fresh, minus the few injuries they might see in in the fall camp they're doing now. Um, you know, so I, I, you're going to get a really good shot, uh, you know, from David Sean. And the hard thing about uh, being the first game for Stanford is that means that essentially they've had, well, let's see, the schedule has been out for a week, week and a half, or whatever. They've essentially had two, three, three and a half weeks to. Uh, scout your football team to scout what you're going to do to watch film on you to watch tape on you and when you give a guy like David Shaw that kind of time he's going to figure out some things that work against you so um, really really excited for that game I think it's uh, I think it's a really good early test for Oregon not too easy not too hard definitely a winnable game but I think it's one that people say hey look you know week one you beat Stanford you know you wouldn't get much credit for beating up on Washington State if you were Oregon 
And so I think you get to come out of the gates hot uh, with a win over Stanford should you beat them. And, and I do think that that first week will probably be one of the best you know, one of, one of the best weeks at Stanford looks all year because of health and because of how long they've been able to scout the Duck team. Yeah, and and you've been really uh, charting the trajectory of this Duck program the last couple of days on Scoop Duck, filling people in on, on who's excelling, who's not excelling, what they like, what they don't like in practice. I'm curious because in a normal year, You'd get a couple of tune-up games before you have that opener against Stanford in the Pac-12. You'd get to maybe make a couple mistakes but still beat a team like San Jose State or Portland State or Montana last year. Are you concerned at all that the Ducks might start slow in the Pac-12 opener? Uh, you know, I, 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 I guess let me break it down in a really, uh, in a, in a really small way. I believe just with the way things have gone uh, with COVID, with the fact that, you know, it's just not a normal year. Uh, and, and the fact that Oregon's breaking in basically an all new offense, new, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback, pretty much an entirely new offensive line. You got a lot of new pieces there. I think it's completely normal to think that Oregon's going to start this game slow. And so what I mean by that is you'll probably see some ineffective, you know, first couple drives, first quarter might be like a 3-0 ball game. Heck, at halftime, it might be still 3-0 or 3-3 or 7-3. Or I just don't know that Oregon's going to put up a ton of points uh, in the first half. If they should, even better. But I think it's realistic to expect a slow start. I think the defense will be good enough to keep Oregon in the game. I can't imagine Stanford's going to come out with supreme firepower and just throw up a bunch of points. Let's hope that's not the case. But I do feel that Oregon will get it going and get going in the second half. You know, it'll be one of those things where you go in the locker room at halftime, you've got five new offensive line starters, and you're going to be able to look at them and be like, hey, look, you didn't do too bad. You can obviously show that you can play football. You guys are good. Let's go out there and, and take this thing home and get this thing done. And I think you'll have a little bit different performance in the second half versus the first half. And, and I think that's to be expected because, to your point, there's a reason they schedule those tune-ups. There's a reason you put App State on on the schedule. There's a reason you play Louisiana Tech or whatever. It's to kind of get those jitters out, work out the kinks, and, and really you know allow your players to gain more confidence. Unfortunately, with a team like Stanford, you don't have a lot of wiggle room there, uh, you know, to kind of work out those kinks. So, but I, I you know I trust in Mario Cristobal and his guys to get everybody ready. Yeah. Um, what's the vibe like? How do you feel about the the trajectory of this team in practice so far? Um, you know, it's obviously with the practices completely closed to everybody. All, you know, the only person that can go in there that isn't a part of the football team is Rob Mosley, even though he's actually a part of the football team because right. he writes for the Ducks. Right. Um, you know, so we, you've got to, you know, there, we know about coach speak. There's going to be coach speak at, at every school every year. And, you know, I'm sure we're getting a fair amount of coach speak. Um, you know, this year, it's nice to see that, that coach Christopher is not only putting several coaches up in the zoom, the zoom interviews, uh, that they're doing daily, uh, but, but you've got several players in there and, and I think the players tend to speak pretty candidly. I mean, you're not going to sit there and, and coach them on what to say. Uh, you know, so I think you get a little bit more from them on who's standing out and who's playing well than maybe the coaches. But, uh, you know, if there's one thing we've heard Mario Christopher preach about 
over and over and over is the culture. And I, and I think that that's really taken place. I think that you see that's why so many players decide to come back and play for Cristobal. You know, obviously with that being Justin Herbert last year, among others, Troy Dye. Um, you know, this year was a little different with Panay Sewell and, and Javon Holland, you know, opting out early, but completely different circumstances. Uh, but you did get Lenore back. You know, you, 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 kept, uh, you kept some guys. I just think it's the culture. I think it's going to win out. I think when you are so dedicated to the details, you know, I've, I've heard tale of Mario Cristobal, you know, running out there and yelling at the threes for not breaking out of the huddle the right way. Well, you think it's a, a small thing and it shouldn't matter, but when you're the head coach and you see those types of things and you let them slip by, then, you know, you can let other things slip by. So I, I, I think that speaks loudly to this team. And I've always said the devil's in the details. And I think that that's something that Mario Cristobal takes a lot of pride in. Um, now on the recruiting front, um, it, it's not going to help him this fall, but in the years ahead, this might look really sweet. The Ducks just snagged another huge wide receiver recruit. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was no secret that Oregon was probably the team to beat for Dante Thornton for a long time. And we're talking about a top 100 player, you know, a guy that's in the 6'4", 6'5", range, probably right around 200 pounds, you know, well-built, can run, can catch, can do all the things you want. This isn't a, you know, this isn't a slot guy. This isn't a, a, a just a, a, a go-up-and-moss-everybody kind of guy. This is a guy that's the total package at wide receiver. Um, and you heard in his commitment interview, you know, his coaches talking about him having a 3.9 GPA and being an excellent student and being, uh, you know, very humble and, and just all those things. Well, that's exactly what you want in a football player. So, uh, you know, at one time he was committed to Penn State. Um, he's got every offer out there and he could have gone to any program in the country. But but Oregon was on him early. Uh, they've been on him for a long time, and I know that his plan, you know, I, I, it caught some people by surprise because, you know, his plan was to commit at the Army All-American game, not the Army, excuse me, just the All-American game in San Antonio in January. Well, uh, you know, they uh, they did come out and mention that they're not going to have that game. It's been canceled due to COVID, the pandemic, and, I, you know, that's what really moved up Thornton's decision to go ahead and commit now because I know he really – it was a dream to commit at that game. That was just, you know, one of his dreams, and, and why not live it out? But, uh, you know, with that game not being able to be played, I think it was, it was wise for him to go ahead and commit because that helps cool down your phone. That helps get some of these coaches off your back when you can say, hey, I know where I'm going. Thank you, but no thanks. Um, and, and it's huge for Oregon. It, it, when you get to this spot that Oregon's at in recruiting, and and that meaning that you only have two, three, maybe four spots left and, and about two months to go, uh, you know, the more of those spots you can get locked up and locked in, it really kind of lets you know what you have left to recruit, who you have left to recruit, you know, where things stand. You're always kind of playing with fire when you get into to December, and you have 10 spots to fill, 12 spots to fill, or more. So for Oregon, right now, you've got 23 verbal commits. You've got a maximum of 25 you can sign, which means Mario Cristobal is really filling out the last two spots of this recruiting class, which is totally manageable. It makes it easier for him to focus on the football season. He's probably got a pretty trimmed uh, recruiting board in the HDC of guys that he's going to continue to recruit uh, in this class. So I, I just, not only is it, is it positive mojo, it's a big win from getting that recruit. 
It's just all of the other things that go with it. The fact that it's one less thing to worry about for Mario Cristobal. Uh, it's a heck of a football player that has committed to joining your team. And it gives you that extra little bit of mojo, that extra little bump for the last couple guys you're recruiting. I mean, we know Oregon is basically down to recruiting either five or high four stars at this point to finish out the class. And, you know, when you could sit there and say, hey, you want to come be a part of something special, by the way, we're the, you know, recruiting class in the country. And this guy just, you know, committed to us from Maryland. Right. Um, you know, it gives you a little extra bump to go in and, and, and talk to those young men that you're continuing to recruit um, and, and really want them to come be a part of something special. Because that's the key, you know, at this point with most of these elite guys, you know, they're kind of looking at, you know, where these teams are at and, and, and who's, you know, who's recruiting well. They're going to be looking at the product on the field to see if these teams are getting better, worse, being developed. And, uh, you know, for Oregon, basically at this point, all that's left to do is go out there and, uh, and win six football games, win a Pac-12 championship, and, and then see what happens after that. Now, you've mentioned this idea in the past, and you brought it up again in that last question, that the Ducks really only have a couple of holes to fill in recruiting. Just a couple of spots left that they're looking at. I'm curious, with a commitment like this, do you think it spoke more to a a need at that receiver position or an investment in the receiver position or was this simply just a player so talented they couldn't pass him up yeah this is icing on the cake i, I you know I, I, in every recruiting cycle um you know i'm sure that if you're mario chris ball and you sit down uh with your player personnel guy and uh your director of recruiting you sit down okay here's what the roster looks like where are we weak where are we full how many numbers can we take a wide receiver how many numbers can we take at offensive line well you, you kind of jot all that down uh in theory and then you usually have a couple of uh, of just those extra spots like okay if we have five extra spots that maybe we could you know take an re- extra receiver or an extra lineman or whatever the case might be and I, and i think it, it became one of those situations this year you know oregon was fortunate to get uh you know the early commitments of isaiah brevard the early commitment from Kyron ware hudson the early commitment of five-star Troy Franklin. And right there, you have a tremendous wide receiver class, arguably one of the best in program history. But you felt really good about Dante Thornton for a while. And let's just be real. That's a talent you can't turn away. That's that's the type of player and the type of guy that you're making room for in your recruiting class. And and, and, and ultimately, ultimately, right now, as we record this, you know, Oregon's got 23 commits, and don't get me wrong, you always want to take a guy like Corey Foreman, the number one player in the country, defensive lineman. You always want to take a five-star like JT Tuamalo. Those guys are the guys you want to take. But right now, this class is so good and ultimately has all the spots filled. Mario Cristobal could hold those last two spots if needed, and I could see him using them because I, I believe, I believe that it's going to be a wild year for transfers in football. I just think that this pandemic is going to make things a little bit weird. I think you're going to see guys enter the portal uh, earlier and more often than we've seen in years past, which is a lot already. And if you're Mario Cristobal and you're kind of looking at 2021 and you think, okay, I feel really good about where I'm at at quarterback. And I feel really good about where I'm at at linebacker with all the youth there, but man, I could maybe really use a, a tackle and sure you go out and you recruit those guys, but maybe you're thinking, hey, I want a guy that's more of an instant impact, can plug and play, you know, sort of a situation. Well, I mean, I think you could hold those last two spots. 
uh, and 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 just wait to see what happens in that in that grad transfer portal. Um, doesn't mean you have to use them there if nothing comes through. I just think it's a year where it's going to be very valuable to do that. So I know I've been pretty vocal on the site saying, I think Oregon might only sign 24 and hold that last spot. And what I mean by 24 is I, I think, I think Oregon will get one of one of the following being JT Tuamalo, Corey Foreman, Bryce Foster, Sierra Wright. Would they take two out of that group and be full? Yeah, they would take two if they can get any two of those four players. But I think from real from a realistic standpoint, you're going to get one. I think it's JT Tuamalo. That's who I would say Oregon has the best odds with. And if that's the case, and you can't get any of those other three guys, you hold the spot and see what hits that transfer portal. Might be a safety. Might be a safety that helps you a lot next year as as a one year rental. It might be a, an offensive tackle. It might be a guy that 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 you're counting on that you might need because, uh, you know, who knows? Those are the types of guys that might help you go from being you know, good in a position group to be feeling much better about a position group. Yeah. Um, is there any chance they pull an Arizona state and make room by letting go of some of the other guys committed? You know, I'm not going to, you know, beat on Arizona state for what they did there. I mean, that's something that happens in college football. That's something that happens in big time college football. So, um, I, I'm not sure that the approach to do, you know, three of them within a week uh, was was all that smart. You kind of want to do those things a little bit more under the radar. Um, I think that another lesson for Herm Edwards there is each of those each of those recruits were very specific, saying ASU has dropped me, you know, has has removed my scholarship. You know, that's pretty tough to do. I mean, it's mid October, but you're not talking about guys with a lot of other options. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and beat them up too bad. I just think that Mark Herm Edwards probably could have handled it a little better. Now that said, to answer your question, I, right now I look at this commit list and I don't see anybody that Mario Cristobal wants to turn loose. I think he feels really good about everybody they've gotten committed. Um, I mean, shoot, even, even the guys that we have lower rated on our own site on scoop duck that are, you know, towards the bottom, you know, some of those guys, the names are, are, are Jadarius Perkins. You know, that's a four-star Juco corner that's 6'2", 190 pounds. If that's what you're missing on, that's probably a pretty good miss. You know, a, a, a Terrell Tillman is towards the bottom of our list. But again, that's a six-foot-five, 230-pound defensive end that can run like a gazelle. Again, if you're, if you're going to miss, miss with length, miss with athleticism, miss with those types. And that's what Mario Cristobal tends to do. So... Um, I just don't know that there's much that, that Oregon could push out. Um, most of the guys that are even lower ranked on, on our commit list have some really good offers along with their names. So I, I think you're feeling good. I don't think anybody's going to get pushed out. I don't feel like anybody's wavering on their commitment to Oregon. Um, and it sure seems like it sure appears that Oregon is moving full steam ahead with, hey, we've got two spots left to fill. How are we going to do that? So, um, you know, right now I feel pretty good about where Oregon's at with the commitments or pushing guys out. Okay. Moving full steam ahead on the recruiting front, uh, Ducks hovering around 15 in most of the polls and rankings. You feel like they're going to make a move up once the games start getting played? Um. Uh, yes and no. I mean, you've got, you know, the, the, I, I, I don't know that they'll move much. I mean, you're going to have some losses. It, it certainly seems like a season 
where we're going to see a bevy of upsets. And, and I think that's to be expected. That's something I was fully expecting prior to the start of the season. Um, you, you don't really have anybody in the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma State making much noise. The one thing that, that gives me a little bit of pause for Oregon to potentially move down in the next couple of weeks is the fact that there's not a ton of SEC games uh, going on each week. Um, you know, not the big matchups that we've had in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and secondly, the Big Ten gets started. You know, with the Big Ten getting started this weekend, you're going to see Ohio State play. If they play well, they're going to stay highly ranked. You've got Penn State that has been on each side of Oregon, uh, you know, ranked just ahead or just behind, depending on where you look. If Penn State comes out and looks really good, uh, you know, they could end up, you know, leapfrogging Oregon a little bit. You've got Wisconsin, who's been below Oregon, but only by a few spots. You know, they've, they've got the potential to move up. Um, you know, Michigan, Minnesota, a lot of Big Ten teams are getting a lot of love. I'm not sure that I fully buy into all of them, but there's a lot of Big Ten teams that are ranked somewhere between 15 and 20, uh, 15 and 21, that are that are going to start playing. So I, I would give them – I think that gives them an opportunity to leapfrog Oregon merely – you know, just based on the fact that they'll be playing actual football. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of other teams that I that I personally like. You know, there's the BYUs and the SMUs, again, that seem to be somewhere falling between that 12 to 20, just depending on where you look. Uh, and those guys keep winning football games. So, for me, I've said this for a couple of weeks now. I'll keep saying it. I don't know if you agree or not, but I, I just think Oregon needs to hang around 12. As long as they can be really close to 12 within within a ranking or two of 12, they're going to have the opportunity to move up once they start playing. And if they play really well and start blowing teams out, they'll get to where they need to be. But, uh, you know, should Oregon get into that 15 and, and below range, 15 to 20, that could prove to be a little bit more difficult for them, given the fact that the Ducks are only going to have six regular season games, assuming they get to play them all. Yeah. Yeah, those six regular season games, I've heard a lot of people say that that's going to be the big hurdle for a Pac-12 team that wants to get into the playoff. And my my thought is simply, we've seen so many games get postponed or canceled in other conferences. I think if the Pac-12 can get this thing off the ground and keep it off the ground, keep it from a situation like what's going on in the NFL where every week we got a game getting moved or in the SEC or the ACC or the Big 12, every week there's a coach testing positive and a game thrown into controversy. It's hard. It's not likely. But if the Pac-12 can avoid that, just not have any positive cases, um, I think there's a solid argument to be made yeah, you only played six or seven games, but you did it without any drama. I would reward that team with a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you you know, like you you can't control uh, the the pandemic. You can't control coronavirus. It's definitely. I think it's very. It's a very fine line because I I, I don't the Pac-12 really can't afford to miss a single game. You know what I mean? They're they're If they get from six down to five, they're going to be in the danger zone. So, I mean, for a team like Oregon that you might be looking to, you know, possibly be in the playoff picture, you got to get all those six games in and, and the Pac-12 championship. I feel really good about Oregon's protocols and and what they've been able to do so far. I think Mario Cristobal is, is very diligent when it comes to testing and making sure his guys are, are taking care of themselves. Um, you know, so I think they're going to be okay, but you're uncontrollable. There is the other team, 
you know, are the other teams taking it seriously? Is, is Kevin Sumlin down at Arizona, you know, taking it seriously and being diligent about his testing? You just don't know. So, uh, you, you know, yeah, for Oregon, you got to hope that all of your opponents are able to show up, are able to field the team and, and help you get to those six, seven games because you, ab- you absolutely need them. Got to have them. All right, so we're talking about the Pac-12's six or seven games. Now let's talk about five games, five games we want to watch this week. Okay, five games. Um, Are you ready, or should I go first? Uh, I've got four of my five. I'm not sure if I'm going to get a fifth, but I, I'm, I'm going to guess just by looking, we're going to have a lot of crossover in in the four that I've got. But no you doubt. go ahead and give me give me a couple. No doubt. Uh, let's start this off. I said it on my show this week. I didn't have this team in my top four for the playoff, not because I don't think they're one of the best four teams, but just because I haven't seen them play yet. That changes on Saturday, 9 a.m. on Fox from the Horseshoe. I got Ohio State hosting Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I do. I, I, I mean, I'm with you 100%. That's the first one on my list. It's a 9 o'clock game on Fox. You know, there's also that. But, I mean, Scott Frost in Nebraska was really, really vocal about this whole pandemic thing, and we're going to make our own league, and we're going to play our own games. For me, it's one of those things where just shut your mouth and play football. Well, you know, I think if it's certainly just from here, I don't have any intel. It, certainly from here, it looks like the Big Ten kind of gave them the bird in the form of Ohio State as your season opener. So I think uh, I think Ryan Day and, Ohio- and the Buckeyes are going to run a buzzsaw uh, through that Nebraska football team, if I had to guess. Okay. What else do you have on your list? Uh, probably going to guess we both have this. I've got Iowa State versus Oklahoma State. Uh, it's 1230 at, on uh, on Fox. So that's the game right after Nebraska and Ohio State. You don't have to change the channel there. Uh, but uh, Iowa State's number 17 in the country right now. It's a really good football team. Oklahoma State's number six and is essentially the Big 12's last chance at remaining in the playoff picture and the playoff hunt. So um, that, that's a really, really big game that I think Oregon fans need to at least keep an eye on the score on just to see what happens with OK State because they're a very serious threat out of the Big 12 right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to me Oklahoma State. I wonder for them are they the number 6 team in the country because they they've earned it because that's how they play on the field or are they the number 6 team in the country in just a weird weak fluky year for the Big 12? Yeah, I think I think you're you're probably more right on with your latter point. I think they're the number six team because basically they're the lone representative for the Big Twelve at this point. But they seem like a pretty good football team. I mean, they can run the ball really well. You know, the offense has always been creative, but they actually seem like they have a pretty solid defense this year, uh, better than they've had most years. So, uh, in a wonky year, I, I do view them as a as a top ten, top fifteen level ish team. But yeah, being number six might be generous right now, and they might be getting that simply because uh, they're the lone, they're the lone team from the Big Twelve right now. Yeah. All right, I had that game on there as well. Uh, third game for me, and and I don't think this is going to be particularly close. I just think it's going to be fun. I I loved what I saw from Bama last week. I think they have an incredible defense. 
I think their offense is totally different from what they've done in years past. I mean, just the the amount of passing and the amount of trust they have in their passing game. It's night and day. Bama, Tennessee, 12.30 our time on CBS. I want to watch that. Oh, I, I don't have that game on there. I can see I, I saw that one and I could see why you'd pick it. I think it'll be fun. Um, but I mean Tennessee's they're two and two. They just recently extended Pruitt. Now everybody's wondering why they did that. And 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 I can't blame them. I didn't see why you were doing that. They've they've been an absolute mess. I think Alabama's going to completely steamroll them this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, I went ahead and put Michigan and Minnesota on there. Again, I've got some some heavy uh, Big 12 flavor, excuse me, Big 10 flavor uh, this weekend. But uh, Michigan and Mini, uh, you've got 18 Michigan versus 21 Minnesota, 430 on Fox. So basically tune into Fox this weekend, apparently. But uh, I think Minnesota will end up beating Michigan um, by a fairly wide margin. I don't see how Michigan's ranked inside the top 20, but I guess they'll have a chance this weekend to prove me wrong. Yeah, I have that game on the list as well. The, the reasoning for me, Michigan's not great, and, and I, I, I follow a couple of Michigan writers and people that are, are plugged in there on Twitter and, and just kind of keep up with them from time to time. The vibe that I've read on Michigan this year is that's not a team that can contend for a Big Ten title or contend for a position in the playoff, but it's a team that is young, that's going to grow, and, and there's potential they might get better and give Ohio State a pretty competitive season finale. Right now, I think they lose. And um, and really, I think the angles to look for are just how close are they to finally growing and taking a leap that we might have expected from a Michigan team in a prior generation. And then their quarterback, Joe Milton, from Florida, I, I think he could be the real deal. I've heard a lot of the uh, the scouts and the draft Knicks really swirling over him and, and kind of ooing and aahing about the measurables, 6'5", 240. I want to see him play. Yeah, I, I feel like you're giving Michigan maybe the, the, the preseason Texas love or the preseason Auburn love. Probably. That they, that those teams, yeah, but I understand you've got a little bit of a connection to Harbaugh. Uh, and Michigan there, and so uh, I can see why you're doing that. But for me, they continue to underperform every year. So I'm personally not ready to to see it or or give it to them. But I I, I do see, uh, you know, I do understand why people continue because Michigan recruits really well. They recruit at a high level, and they and they get guys that you think should you know turn into you know first round draft picks and and and. Uh, you know, be on every All-American list, and then they still just continue to underperform on the field. But maybe, maybe Harbaugh's got that figured out. Okay, so I have I have one more game. I think you have two. What's your fourth game oh. of the week? Uh, well, I have Cincy and SMU. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number nine, December sixteen. And I know people are going to say, "Well, it's Cincinnati and it's SMU." I don't know what they're good football teams. You know, right now I see those two football teams as top 20 teams that can compete with pretty much everybody after Ohio state mm-hmm. uh, on the rankings. You know, once you get past that four or five um, I, I think they've got a shot at everybody, uh, but those elites. So I, I think that'll be a great football game. Um, it's six o'clock on ESPN. So it's a game that you can watch and, and have your evening beer or dinner and beer or whatever you're doing 
um, and, and enjoy what I, what I, it's actually good football. These guys aren't just ranked to be ranked. It's actually really good football. So I, I'm looking forward to that game. Yeah. I have that one too. Uh, for me, it comes down to two things. I've talked about this every week this year with the big 10, not playing until late October with the PAC 12, not playing until November this year. Watch the G5s, give them some love, see what they bring to the table, and and just enjoy the ride. Like BYU being as high-ranked as they are, uh, Cincinnati's in the top 10, SMU's in the top 25. All three of those schools are in in the polls and and getting a lot of love right now, and I just implore people, look at it, watch it, and enjoy it. Um, yeah. the, the other reason why I had this game on the list, you mentioned 6 p.m. ESPN to a top 10 team and a team uh, inside the top 20 is is in the polls right now. Cincinnati is ahead of Oregon in all of them and SMU is ahead of Oregon in some of them. So if, if you're Oregon and you're an Oregon fan and you're looking for the Ducks to, to make that push up, you want to see these teams lose and and you want to see these teams, how they stack up and whether the ducks can pass them. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You're, you're right. Because Oregon's going to need a couple of these, <clears throat> you know, group of five, they're going to need some of these outliers, the BYUs, the SMUs, the Cincy's they're going to need them to lose. Yeah. And, and because they're going to play more football games than you. And so, you know, if you're the ducks, you need a little bit of love there. You need a little bit of love from the SEC right now because, uh, you know, almost the worst thing for you right now is Alabama and Georgia both being one-loss teams at the end of the season um, and facing each other in, the, in that, uh, you know, SEC championship game, which would mean, if that's the case, it would mean Georgia wins that game mm-hmm. after losing to Alabama. Now, they'll put both of them in, and you're, there's no way you're going no to get Oregon at 7-0 and past either of those one-loss teams when it's only to each other. Um, and I I don't know, but for me, you've already got a pencil Clemson in and I guess we'll assume Ohio state's in. I I think that's a really, really good football team, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're needing a little love just to make sure that those other, uh, you know, G five schools aren't giving you a headache as well. And Oklahoma state, that's, those are your threats right now. So we shared four out of five. I had Bama, Tennessee. You didn't. What's your fifth game? Uh, I think I had, uh, well, I have two more, but I had those other. But anyway, so for me, the pack, Duck fans aren't going to like hearing this, but I've got Auburn versus Ole Miss, and I've got it for a couple reasons. A, I think Ole Miss wins that football game, and I think that gives Malzahn his third loss of the season, which should be his fourth because they should have lost to Arkansas. That's a different topic. Um, you got to watch that game. I also put down I'll, – I'll come, I'll come back to that one, but I also put down – for similar reasons, Baylor versus Texas, which is a 12:30 game on ESPN. Texas under fire as well, not playing very well. And I do think, as the contract talks, the ex- contract extension talks have heated up around Mario Cristobal at this particular moment. I think you need to keep an eye on Auburn and Texas moving forward until those contract extension talks are resolved. You need to keep an eye moving forward on those two teams because if they continue to suck, you definitely don't want them coming after your head coach what would be um if it if it came down to auburn and texas you think there's a preference from crystal ball um i know people think i'm nuts but people need to understand 
and if they haven't figured it out by now, Mario Cristobal is wired different from a lot of different people. And what I mean by that is he's not afraid of competition. Okay, everybody, I've seen a lot of people say, why would Mario leave Oregon? He's got it good. He can be the, you know, he could be the top guy in the Pac-12 for a long time and it has a clear path to the playoff championship. And I agree with that. I totally agree with that, with the way he's recruited and the staff he's assembled and the fact that a good portion of the Pac-12 just isn't very good in general right now. I agree with that sentiment. But what I also believe is that Mario Cristobal is an ultimate competitor and he is not afraid one small iota of competition. So if Auburn, for example, said, hey, Mario, also keep in mind, you know, Mario's very familiar with that Alabama area and has a lot of friends and family in that area. Okay. If Auburn came calling and said, we're going to, we're going to give you all this and you're going to have all the, all the money you need for, for recruiting and and your staff and your budget and all those things, you ain't got to worry about it. Okay. If they came and made that people, well, why would he want to go against Saban? Why wouldn't he? He's the ultimate competitor. He's not afraid to go against Nick Saban. Now, maybe to his own demise. Okay. Because Nick Saban's the goat, but I know just from my experience, a guy like Mario Cristobal isn't wired to sit here and think, oh gosh, Nick Saban's there. I'm too afraid. He isn't afraid. He'll go right back in the SEC. He's already proven he can recruit against the top guys in the SEC because he's been there. And I get the feeling that, and again, this is just looking ahead. I have a feeling that contract talks will get heated up and handled and we won't have to worry about it. But until that point, I do think that if Auburn came calling and made a decent offer for Mario Cristobal, that he would definitely listen to it. And the people that think he wouldn't go because he's afraid of Nick Saban, I'm going to stand here and tell you that I believe you're dead wrong. Yeah. Um, if, if it came down to Auburn versus Oregon, what, what are the factors in play? Well, I, he wants to stay in Oregon. I, I, I'm not preaching that he wants to leave Oregon. He wants to stay at Oregon. He wants to be at Oregon. I believe Mario Cristobal is very excited about what he's built at Oregon. He's recruited, you know, extremely well. He's got a football team full of very young, big, talented guys that are ripe to run through the Pac-12 year after year. He's assembled one of the absolute best football staffs in the country. I'm fully convinced of that. So I don't think that there's any desire to leave Oregon. But let's be real. You're paying the man roughly around $3 million. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what bonuses are, any of this or that, okay? He's making roughly around $3 million a year. He is the 11th best paid head coach in his own conference, which is absolutely asinine. He is the somewhere in the 50s nationally. It's absurd, okay? I, the contract when Mario Cristobal was hired made sense. I don't dispute that. When Mario Cristobal was hired, the money you paid him – you were taking a chance on him. You got burned on Helfrich. You got burned on Taggart. So I understand why Rob Mullins was very shrewd with his offer. It made sense at the time. But we're two years in now. Okay, it's time to wipe that off the slate. It's time to pay this particular coach what he's worth. And not only because of what he's done so far, but because you see where your own program is going. If you're Rob Mullins, you're looking at the recruiting rankings. Gosh, we're number three in the country. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Me neither, Rob. Okay, and you've won the the Pac-12 championship. You've beaten Washington both years that he's been here. I I don't know. I mean, if you're Rob Mullins and you're walking down the hallway in the HDC looking at the coordinators and the coaching staff you have, you have to be thinking, man, life is good for my football team. Mm -hmm. Why not keep it? It's super simple. So I think he wants to stay. That's I, I believe wholeheartedly he wants to stay. 
Jessica Cristobal wants to stay. His wife, they love Eugene. He wants to be here for a long, long time. But at some point, you know, for these guys, for coaches, in it becomes a respect thing with their peers. You know, Mario Cristobal is probably being somewhat mocked for being a nice guy and ha- and being paid in the 50s by these other guys, you know, that are paid more than him and, and ahead of him and are and, and are not nearly performing at the level. So, I again, it all boils down. I, I, I think a deal will get done. I think they'll get back to the table. You know, they, they were pretty close on a deal uh, back in the spring, I believe. And, and it's just been kind of silence for a while now. I think it's just time to get those things back up and going. It's very simple. Go back to where you left off and, and say, hey, what do we need to change? What do we need to change? Boom. Deal. So it, it, it's a big deal simply because the stakes are high. Losing Mario Cristobal would be very bad for this program for a long time. But it's not a big deal in the fact that I think he's got one foot out the door. It just merely needs, they just merely need to get back to the table and, and put this thing to bed and it will all go uh, all by the wayside and everybody can focus on the season, which is exactly what everybody needs to be focused on. And that's going to be our focus next week. Ducks and Stanford just a, a few days away now. I can't wait. Um, next week, you think we're going to interview like a, a bunch of beat writers and just go all in on, on Oregon Stanford for an hour? Yeah, it, it sounds like we're, we're about to that point. I'm super excited for it. Um, you know, I love, I love taping these on game week. We get excited. Uh, I love taping these, you know, leading up to the game weeks. We're a little bit far out to do it now. But, yeah, we'll get somebody in from the Stanford market. Uh, we'll see what they think about the Cardinal. They might have a totally different view than us. They might see a team that's that's too young and not ready. I think they're going to be better than than they're getting than they're getting advertised for. But again, it'll be interesting to see somebody that covers that team daily, weekly, and their point of view on what Stanford's going to bring to the table. And you know, just like you said, I'm excited to watch the Pac-12 again, to watch the Ducks play, to see what Washington's made of, just to see the Pac-12 back to playing football. I am super excited that we creep toward the towards this. Yeah. All right. Sounds like a good pod to me. Uh, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. My name's Matt Bagley. He's Justin Hopkins from ScoopDuck.com. Anything else you want to cover before we call it a close? No, I, you know, I think along with that, and it's, 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 you know, it's my fault. We haven't done a great job. You know, we're, we're about to start getting in back into basketball too, you know, previewing the women's basketball and the men's basketball. I know Kelly Graves has been doing a few interviews here and there. And people He's are chomping pretty at the excited. Bit. He's yeah. chomping. Yeah, I know people are. I think it's just from what I've seen of Kelly Graves, and 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 I haven't interviewed him, or you know, but he just seems really excited about this team, which is it's pretty crazy because he's you know obviously just ushered out one of the best teams he's ever had, uh, including one of the best players he's ever coached. But I think it just from the way I'm hearing him talk, he seems more excited about this team as a, you know, seven to eight deep team and the talent and the versatility and the size that they're going to have. Mm-hmm. It just it man, I, I it's tough to say that even with Sabrina gone that 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 he might have a better team. And I'm not sure that he has a better team, but it certainly seems like he has as good of a team as what left Eugene, which is obviously pretty special. Yeah, I, I'll leave it on this note. I don't think that team is going to be as good as last year's team. I definitely don't right. think they'll they'll be better than last year's team right now. But they're going to be a lot of fun and give him another two or three years to to phase in this new group and let them grow the same way that he let the old group grow. Remember they they were not 
a dynamo right out of the gates. It took time, took growth. Give them two or three years, and that team is right back chasing a national title. Absolutely, yeah. I think they'll push for it this year, and like you, and I, and I think in two years, not this year, but next year, I think they'll be a favorite for it. Yeah, yeah. All right, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, give us a review on whatever platform, whatever app, uh, podcast app that you listen to this on. Uh, give us a comment. I try to lurk Scoop Duck and read the comments and the suggestions that I get from people. I always appreciate your feedback. And uh, if you want, leave us a tweet at Bagley Sports, at J Hopkins SD. Thanks for listening. Back next week. Go Ducks. I can do this now.